So Joshua chapter 23 on pages 197-198. A long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea of the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with the, these nations remaining among you or make mentions of the names of their gods or swear by them, or serve, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you, you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts puts to fight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among, among you and make marriages with them, so that they associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from all of this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now, I am about to go the way of the earth, and you know in your hearts and your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all these good things, that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. But just as all good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed from you, destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And you shall perish quickly from from off the good land that he has given to you. Please keep your Bibles open. Verona, it is lovely to have you back uh, from your holiday. Um, Verona's journey, uh, she'll tell you a bit more about this uh, this evening. But Verona's journey down to Cornwall wasn't exactly plain sailing. Uh, It didn't get off to a great start. Uh, First of all, there was a massive sinkhole in the M4. The M4 is a motorway, sinkhole. It's just not very good, okay? It's a big hole that opens up, and uh, thankfully they didn't go into it, uh, but they were stuck behind a whole load of traffic, 
Um, and she, it took her 10 hours to get down to Cornwall. Now, it should take probably six or seven, I guess, uh, but it shouldn't have taken 10. I'll let her tell you the whole grueling account, but I have quite a visual mind. And so when Verona was describing this, even just a few details, uh, I imagined her in her car driving down the windy West Country roads with her nose almost pinned to the, to the windscreen, with the senses heightened, straining her eyes in the dark, with the, the, the headlights as the only light she can see to see everything that was going on on the roads and probably doing 20 miles an hour. Um, to see every little detail of what was going on, even if it was just a rabbit moving in the undergrowth. Hands gripped tightly to her steering wheel, senses heightened. And then I imagined Verona the next day going out for a leisurely drive. Conditions couldn't be more different. She's rested, well rested. It's dry, a clear, beautiful day. The air temperature means she can even wind down the windows. And then, smack! See, I've got your attention now, haven't I? A tractor had pulled out in front of her. And she'd gone right into the back. She didn't see it. Now, thankfully, that bit of the story's not true, okay? Um, you can see she's here alive and well. Um, that's my wild imagination for you. Um, but it goes to make the point, doesn't it, that it's not conditions that is the real danger to us, but complacency. It's not the conditions... It's the complacency that poses the most threat. You see that in sporting fixtures, don't you? So the team who have gone 3-0 up and there's only, or 1-0 or up and there's only a few minutes in the, in the left of the game, in the dying minutes. And then the, the other team manages to score twice. And they lose the game. Why? Well, that's because the winning team has switched off. Complacency. We're actually most vulnerable when we don't feel vulnerable at all. We're most vulnerable when we don't feel vulnerable at all. And we're nearing the last two chapters of the book of Joshua, and the people of God have spent most of their, the time in this book in battle mode. Sense is heightened. What's going to happen next? We need to be ready for anything. Ready to move at a moment's notice. Um, 13 verse 1 told us that they have now entered a period of calm, of relative calm. Then enemies no longer appear to be a threat uh, to them. In verse 1 of this chapter, let's read that now. We're told three things in that verse. We're told that it was a long time afterwards, uh, about 20 to 30 years it took for them to, to uh, for the campaign in the land. That uh, God had given rest to Israel, so relatively easy in comparison. And that Joshua was old and well advanced in years. So he's going to be moving on. He's not going to be with them. And so with complacency in mind and succession in mind and what it's going to be like for the people, Joshua has these final parting words to them. And it is a kind of wake up call. (laughs) It's not the kind of, uh, you're doing great kind of message that you expect to hear. It's not just that, uh, but it is something that they desperately need to hear. And these words are essentially Joshua saying, be on your guard. Be on your guard. It's when you're most, when you're most vulnerable is when you don't feel vulnerable at all. 
The next stage is actually one that will call for yet more diligence from them, not less. The central exhortation in his words comes in verses 6 to 11. And let's look down at that. You might notice that it starts off like this. It starts off, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it neither to the right hand or the left. It finishes up in verse 11. And verse 11 starts off, be very careful to love the Lord your God. Be very strong to keep and to do. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. Diligence. And uh, if you had read Deuteronomy, uh, or if you just read chapter 1 of Joshua and remembered, as George pointed out, uh, what God said to Joshua, you'd have that deja vu moment. You know, the moment where you think someone said that to you before. Well, that's because God has said this before. He has said it to Joshua himself. In, seven, in chapter 1, verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the Lord, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you might have good success wherever you go. Obedience to the Lord was vital for Joshua and the people. And that's because the Lord himself would be the one to fight for them and triumph over their enemies. So if he's going to be the one doing it, then doing according to what he is plans, you get the picture. And what the 20 or so years since that moment, the, the bottom one, has proven is this. By sticking with God and his words, they are now in the position they are in. This is what Joshua wants them to think about, isn't it? It seems to be his main point. Um, in, in that verse, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these nations for your sake. Where does it say that? In verse, um, verse 3. But he finishes with what he wants to stress from this. Okay, You have seen, in verse 3, all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it's the Lord your God who fights for you. That's what he says, isn't it? You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. And then he repeats it almost. For it's the Lord your God who has fought for you. So his point is, this is who you can depend on. (laughs) Isn't it? Like, let me underline this. Like, again and again. It's the Lord your God. The Lord your God. It's the Lord your God who's done this. For a people who could be complacent and actually could be in the position, as we'll find out, of going to other places, other people, other gods, for what they need. Joshua is saying, no, no, it's the Lord your God who's done this. Let me tell you again, it's the Lord your God who's done this. So that he is the one who fights for you. No one else. It's God who's done this. Be very careful to love him. (laughs) So not to go away from him. You get that cling word, don't you? So um, in verse 8, it says, oh, let's read verse 7. That you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you've done to this day. It's the same word, cling, that you get in verse 12. For if you turn back and cling. 
is actually the word that's in the Bible in Genesis, where it talks about the man, the, the man leaving his family or the wife leaving the family and clinging to her husband, cleaving. That is a deep, deep relational word, isn't it? They're saying, he's your God. He's the one for you. Stick with him. Don't go looking elsewhere. It's the Lord your God who fights for you. And then he says that this truth in verse, um, what does it say? Uh, Verse 5, this truth needs to be front and centre because it's what God will do for them. So it's now, it's past, but it's future as well. Now the Lord, this is what the Lord your God will do for you. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. If you think about it, the beginning of the Christian life, the middle and the end of the Christian life, is about, is about this. Trusting in God, which is based on his word, what he said. That's what he did. That's what he said he's going to do. And I'm going to trust him. And for the people of Israel, this was their immediate history. So you heard those words. um, Not one of the good promises God had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. But for the Christian, we have seen God's word fulfilled to us in Jesus. You have seen all that God has done for you. You've seen that the Lord Jesus fought for you. He fought and he died for you to make you a child of God, to make you his own. You've seen that and he will bring you to to glory. Whatever happens, he will do that. Um, So we sang about it, didn't we? The greatest victory, the greatest day in history. What looked like the massive defeat was actually his greatest victory. Over everything that all our enemies, sin, death, Satan, judgment, all of these things that we were going to face. And he bought our eternal safety. So it's the Lord who fights for you in these verses. This is the big underlining thing. It's the Lord. It's the Lord God, Yahweh. No other gods. No other gods did this for you. And no other gods have promised to do this for you. And even if they do promise to do it for you, they're not going to do it because this is the, the Lord your God. He has fought for you. He will fight for you. That's the one to stick with. So cling to him. Don't go anywhere else. But if that, it should be enough, shouldn't it, for us as Christians to have what God has done, all that he, the grace that he has given us should be enough to motivate us to trust him going forward. But as we see in these people, in the Israelites and in ourselves, it's not. And here, in the second point, we're going to see that if they go against the Lord, sorry, that's under the wrong thing, but, oh, that's right, yeah. Um, In the second point, that if they are to join, they need a warning, basically. They need God's warning. And that comes in the verses 12 to 16. What will happen if they don't? What will happen if they turn back to these other gods? If they go uh, after other gods, what will happen? God's God's really plain and clear about what will happen. It's not going to go well for them. And he he speaks that warning. He sets it all out on the table to them. 
so that we would know what would happen. And he says, join them and this will happen. The Lord will fight against you. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If the enemies of God are going to be, he's fighting against them, that guess what? If we join those who he's fighting against, then he will fight against us. That's what it says in verses 12 to 16, isn't it? We might not like it. In fact, I guess if we were Joshua, we probably wouldn't have saved this point till now, would we? We would have done the the, the hard-hitting bit and then finished on a positive note. But Joshua doesn't mind ruining his sermon, apparently, because he thinks that the warning, and God thinks we need the warning because we're stubborn and we're proud. And we need the warning, don't we? And that's what we get from God's word. So in verses um, 12 to 16, let's read that now. The crux of their obedience is one simple command. Do not mix with the nations, but drive them out. Because you're going to want to serve their gods. That's what's going to happen if you do, if you don't do this. Um, and um, we'll look a moment at, at what they, will happen if they don't do this. But let's think on, on why they might not. Um, so here it goes. Verse 12 to 16. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, And make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you. A whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. But just as all these good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord your God will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you to go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. So, the obedience was, the act of obedience was to do what God has said and drive the people out. The act of disobedience is to not do that and therefore to ensnare themselves with the people of the land and to choose actually that over the God that has done all that for them. And God is really clear what that (laughs) choice will lead to. Um, And we know, don't we, from the rest of how the Bible plays out that that's exactly what did happen. Um, they did become slaves. You know when it says they shall be a snare and a trap, a whip on your sides and thorn in your eyes. That's all imagery of slavery. Um, a whip on your sides. You know, they're going to enslave you. And actually you're going to perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Well, we said that the warning is for them and it is also for us. Because... We too attempted, aren't we, to go back, to go back to what we, what God has saved us from, and this is also something. Complacency is something that we, that is our greatest danger too. And um, so let's have a look at this. Um, why would they not want to do this? Well, they might think, well, we don't really need to. It's not. It's going to be an inconvenience, or it's going to expend my energy having to get rid of these guys. Um, to, do, to, 
to do obedience is going to be costly. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Um, so it could be laziness, or it could be that they start to think that there's nothing all that different about these guys. So they serve a different God, it doesn't really matter. No big deal. Well, we know a little bit about the Canaanite gods and what was done to please them. Um, and this is what I found. Um, the Canaanites believed that they could influence the gods' actions by performing the behaviours that they wished the gods to demonstrate towards them. And believing that the sexual union of Baal, you've heard of Baal, and Asherah, which is the female god, produced fertility, their worshippers engaged in immoral sex to cause the gods to join together ensuring good harvests. So this is, this is what the Canaanites believed and did, right? So, so what they are going to be sucked into if they go along with the crowd is not trusting that Yahweh is the one who gives and provides for them. But they are actually going to start to think that it's their actions that, that secures what they have going forward. It's a very different thing, isn't it? One of them saying, the Lord is our God, he's our provider. And the other one is saying, we make our own way. Yeah? Now, if you think about it, that's not hugely different from today, is it? Because the world around us, the prevailing attitude is, you make your own way. What you do, your career, your money, your, uh, your success is all to do with you. And you see that the Canaanites worshipped in exactly the same way. They worshipped the God of their own success, really. And so all of these things are really no different from, from us. And actually, we need to be aware that that is the prevailing wind, isn't it? That's the, that's the world around us. Because if we don't think that it's all that different from the God that we serve and from the way in which we are called to serve this God and to, to know him then we'll be the danger is we don't see the difference and that's going to be a real problem and we're going to be sucked into it too um, it is very different it's offensively different actually to that God um, saying that he is not the sole provider we are um, and I said you'd think that what God has done for them would be enough to keep them trusting and walking with him but um, their hearts are too rebellious and God knows that. And he says, you need to know what will happen if you, don't, if you don't keep with me. If you don't stay with me, this is what will happen. And we need the same fear of God. We need a challenge. We need to battle complacency. Because we will be in exactly the same situation as they will be. And you might say, Rob, this is an Old Testament thing. And they might say it doesn't really apply to us. You know, because Jesus has fulfilled the law, this doesn't this warning of complacency is is kind of irrelevant. But <laughs> you look in the New Testament and you see in places like Romans eleven, do you want to turn there? Um, verse seventeen, eleven verse seventeen, and we'll read down to verse twenty one. I mean, if we think the words of Joshua were strong, this is quite strong too. Um, so we, we should listen up. 
but if some of the branches, this is Paul, uh, the apostle writing to Gentiles at this point, uh, 11 verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in amongst the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. It's striking, isn't it, that... You know, the way that God speaks to us is different from what we'd expect. We'd expect him to say, oh, and there are places where it says, um, those who are in Christ, he will keep, he will hold on to, you know, the assurance of that. But there are these places in the New Testament where it says, watch, be on your guard. Don't be complacent, don't be proud. Don't assume that in a year's time you're still going to be wanting to hear from God and listen to him. Because actually that's what we need to hear, isn't it? We need to be woken up from thinking, okay, I'll just drift along. We need to hear this, this, this uh, friends. Um, so, we need this as believers. A solemn word, a strong drink to wake us up. God alone can give this to us. His word shows us what we otherwise won't feel or see for ourselves. And it's his loving concern to guard and to keep us by it. So that we are not complacent, but we take much care in loving him and listening to his word. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like if we go back to Joshua to serve the Lord your God to love him? Well, it is for those who have seen what the Lord your God has done for you. And so I want to say that if you're not a Christian here today, will you see what Jesus has done? Will you see what Jesus has done in laying down his life for sinners? Because it only, this only really applies to those who have seen what the Lord your God has done for you. And when you have seen that, the call will be for you to serve him, to give your life to him. To, to actually, the first call we'll see in the next chapter of Joshua is to forsake all the other gods that you were trusting in. All the other things that you thought would provide for you. That's the first thing. If Jesus is the one who is, it, that you need and who provides for you in the way that no one else can for your eternal safety, then ditch those other guys because they're not going to do that for you. So that's what it would look like. Have you seen what the Lord your God has done for you. That's the first five verses of here. And that's first of all, that's fulfilled in Jesus. See what God has done in fighting for you, in dying for you. And if you're a Christian, what does it look like? Well, being careful. <laughs> being careful to listen to God, to keep listening to him, listen attentively to him in his word. To serve him. And we were talking about this beforehand. And I think serving God is... We can say, oh, I serve God, I love God. God said, if you love me, you will love my people. You know whether someone loves God if they love other believers and they serve other believers. 
So it's really, really practical, isn't it? We can see, we can watch ourselves and see, do I really love God? So I say I love God, but do I love his people? Do I want to serve them? And so that's the call, isn't it? To serve this God, to love him. In verse 11 it says, love the Lord your God. Be very careful then to love the Lord your God. To delight in him that he has done this for you. To keep reminding yourself of that. Keep putting yourself in situations where you will be reminded of that so you don't forget. Because complacency is the greatest danger. Not the condition you're in. Not on, on the fair day, on the, on the really rough day. It's not that that's most dangerous to you. It's complacency. And um, we can pray about this and help each other uh, to respond to what we've heard. Which God will we serve today? And we're going to sing a song afterwards. Um, first of all, we're going to sing The Servant King. And it says, he calls us now to follow him. That's for non-Christians and Christians alike. He calls us now to follow him. To give, us, to give our lives to him. And, um, and then we're going to sing a song where it says, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And we're going to remember the fact that it is so, so much a danger for us, isn't it, to turn back. To say, God, you've saved me from that sin. But, but I still love that sin and I want to go back to it. Um, so let's pray. Here's the Lord your God who fights for you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have put to death our sinful nature. Thank you that you dealt Satan his final blow. Thank you that there is a day coming when all of the, uh, all of him and those who serve him will be uh, in the lake of fire, facing eternal destruction. Lord, let's not forget that. Help us to remember that, that that may guard us against his advances and his tactics and his lies. Lord God, will you help us as we interact with the culture around us that says there is no God, we are God. We pray that you would um, help us to see where we are tempted to just go along with the flow. Please would you help us to see where we need to make decisions not to get involved or not to go along. And Lord, in this area of serving you and loving you, we pray that you would help us to see what that looks like this week would we be diligent careful in that of all the things that we could give care and attention to this week we pray that that would be the thing that we sort of agonise over put our time into plan we pray that you'd help us in this and to put you first and knowing our hearts are going to constantly want us to go back and we pray that you would uh, keep us In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.